Welcome to Full Potential, Thriving with Neurodiversities. I'm your host, Sarah Intonato. This podcast teaches parents of children with neurodiversities, such as autism, ADHD, learning disabilities, and beyond, to support their kids in reaching their full potential so that they can thrive instead of letting stereotypes define them. My mission is to end suffering amongst these parents by giving them the tools to heal themselves, which in turn empowers them to be bold, confident advocates for their children. By addressing a variety of topics, such as well-being, advocacy, and spirituality, these parents stop being the victims of a broken system and instead succeed in providing their unique children with exactly what they need to thrive and share their gifts with the world. One by one, these families now change the world through their uniqueness instead of being victimized by it. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast today. I'm so honored to have a very special guest named Joy Buffalini, who I had the pleasure of meeting back in 2017 in person in New York City at an event that we both happened to attend. And we immediately realized we both had children with needs and really bonded over that topic. Here we are six years later on the podcast together. And I'm honored to introduce you to Joy because she is a parent of adult twins who have navigated different kinds of needs in their life. And we're going to talk today in depth about how to navigate difficult decisions that you're facing along your parenting journey. And those decisions look different depending on your child's age or their specific needs, but she's done this with an immense amount of clarity, grace, and insight. And I know she's going to have tidbits for you today that are going to blow your mind. To give you some background around Joy, she is a business consultant. She helps clients to simplify their business model and quickly multiply their income so that they can do the work that really lights them up with only clients who light them up. And I know, Joy, that this has served you well, both as a professional and as a parent in allowing you to be more supportive of your family. Is that right? Absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> Is there anything else that I left out that you'd like to share with the audience? As oh, yes. So my my twins are 22. And as we were talking before we hit record here, um, it's really interesting now to be able to look back over the journey. And the it's like, especially if you've navigated with two, but even navigating with one child, there's so many different phases. You know, I really feel like I've lived multiple lifetimes yeah. in, in just the last 22 years. And I, I appreciate you framing this around just going right to like, there's difficult decisions to be made yeah. and it requires strength and perseverance and you trusting yourself and really listening to your gut and really advocating for what you think you need and, and doing that. Um, so there, in every phase of your child's journey, it's going to look different, you know, and it doesn't matter if they're 10, they may not be functioning like a 10 year old. It's what they need in whether it's mental, emotional, physical learning support, you know, those types of things. So, um, yeah, there's, there's just a, a whole journey around that. My twins were, you know, born unexpectedly early. Okay. So it was that whole, woo, we're having twins, my first two, a boy, girl, twins. How exciting. Oh, wait, I have to have an emergency C-section and their life is on the line. Right. right. So it was just this, woo, and whoa. 
Yeah. And it was not till 10 years later, till they were 10, that I started to blossom my head out from under the sand of all of the things to finally start to say, I need to be an adult. What do I want for myself? This cannot be, I love my kids and I've been all in for my kids and we made so many decisions and a lot of even life and death circumstances in those first 10 years, but that, oh wait, (laughs) this cannot be the defining thing of my life either. So there's a lot, there's a lot in that we can, we can dive into as well. I'm so glad that you shared that because I think many parents have that exact experience, picking your head up at some point months or years later, when you've allowed yourself or been able to get out of survival mode for a moment. And then also shame that people have or judgment of themselves for being in survival mode during that difficult time in their life. So I want listeners to know there's no shame. There's no judgment here. You learn at the right time to learn. And you said this was 10 years into your parenting journey where you picked your head up and thought, wait, I need more or different types of fulfillment in my life. And what did that look like for you? Yeah. Well, I had gone on such a personal growth journey. So just a little context, like, you know, you don't really need tools for dealing with complex emotions until something really complex and difficult happens. And I realized, I didn't realize until years later, like I had no emotional coping tools except suppression. (laughs) <laughs> and, and you call it, called it survival mode. So aptly said, um, we, we, I, I call it robot mode in myself where yeah. I can go into performing, doing what I need to do. And, but I'm not feeling anything, which means if you're not feeling anything, you're not feeling sadness, but you're not feeling joy either. Oh, wait, my name's joy. <laughs> right. You know, you're right. not feeling anything. You go into that robot mode. Yeah. And especially, you know, when you're making these difficult decisions, life can get really heavy and hard and feel very serious. Like you can feel like this one decision, my child's life is, you know, future is on the line, whether they read or whether they walk or whether they talk or whether they have friends or, you know, whether they learn to do one plus one equals two or whatever the case may be. So there's a lot of multiple decisions that have multiple dependencies. Right. And when I got to 10 years in, like I was having major health challenges, Hmm, hello, emotional suppression, not realizing that I had actually dealt with PTSD from watching my daughter, you know, flatline once or twice, having to call 911 because of her brain bleeds and things like that from birth. So I think recognizing I had to do a healing journey first, both emotionally and physically, Cause I was, you know, all about them and just getting through the day and making sure everybody was fed and cared for and stayed alive. <laughs> and, um, and my daughter's twin brother, um, while no obvious, you know, major, you know, uh, things that you could see on the outside, like his twin sister, he had ADHD and some learning challenges and some communication challenges. So he was just like nonstop motion, nonstop. <laughs> of just keeping up with it. So, you know, really after those 10 years of really like survival mode and doing some healing work, then it was like giving myself permission. And again, it almost felt like it it was a big decision to say, what's for me? Am I, am I allowed to have something? You know, edgy when you have never asked yourself that question and and enjoy, I was wondering if you would be open to sharing what types of needs your daughter has, because I know types of needs in their lives. 
Absolutely. So her her primary diagnosis is cerebral palsy from the brain damage she suffered at birth from being born as a preemie, which she also has um, hydrocephalus. So she has a shunt in each of her four ventricles of the brain, which in her early years, because it was only the early 2000s, technology had not developed well for someone who has four of them. So we kept having shunt failure after shunt failure, which is a life and death situation. And she, you know, you're just guessing based on I don't, I think she's turning blue or she's throwing up a lot, you know, or what you're guessing so many ER visits in those early days. Um, And then she was diagnosed with developmental delay when obviously she wasn't meeting milestones Um, and then autism around three or four, she had the perseverant perseverant behaviors and, and stimming and things like that. But it was very complex because it really was a brain origin from birth, although she manifested so many other things as well. And, you know, there was this whole, you know, is she going to walk? Is she going to be able to talk? You know, when she wasn't sitting up at two years old, when, you know, she wasn't really attempting to get up and really didn't have the muscle tone to to get to be able to develop that. There was a whole acceptance journey too around, I didn't realize I needed to grieve. She didn't didn't die all those times that we thought she was going to die. But by the time she was eight years old, I realized like, we're not out at birthday parties. We're not having mommy and me time. We're like trying to make it through the day with diapering and communicating and chewing food properly and all of that. So there, there was this grieving journey I had to go, go on with her. That's kind of off topic there, but I just wanted to mention that when it's that severe and and honestly, even when it's not that severe, when, when your parenting journey turns out as you don't expect it to, that, um, there is a a grieving journey to go on. And I'm so glad that you said that because I, I also, my kids are not twins. They're 18 months apart. And I think there is this element when you have kids close together, especially that you see side by side, I'm going to use the word should what a typically developing child should be doing at a certain age. And then you become hyper aware of your child. That's not, and it can be, it can really sting to look or if you allow yourself to get into that looking or comparing, Oh, my child is so far behind. They're not having this normal experience. Will they ever have normal experience? We don't know in that moment. And it's both grieving. And I think also being okay with the not knowing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, in that, in the theme of difficult decisions, I think getting to that place of acceptance is kind of, it's not an easy thing either of like, you get to a point, and again, my twins are 22 now, but you get to that point around, you know, mid teenagerhood of you like, Hmm, we haven't, we haven't progressed in two years. We haven't made anything. Nothing's moving forward. Can I be okay with this? You know, and and that might be harder to hear. It would have been harder for me to hear when mine were younger because I was like, we're going to fix this. I was like, wanted to be the savior and I wanted to fix everything. And so, you know, constant decisions of like, I'm homeschooling this one. This one's going to this school. I'm advocating for this. We're going to do this extra therapy. We're going to do this. Now I'm going to make sure insurance pays for that. And there were just so many multiple decisions to make and things to do that you're like in this constant sort of save your mode, which actually kind of gets on the ego a little bit in a, in a, in a way feeds the ego a little bit of like, I'm doing something. And of course, mama bear kicks in, you're going to do anything you need to do for your kids. Um, So, you know, there were decisions around school, there were decisions around um, what were the right therapies, what were, what were, you know, not the appropriate placements for this and that. 
Um, but, but ultimately, you know, just really being in that place of, and my son's diagnosis I meant to mention is ADHD and learning disabilities, which we didn't really come to see till he was maybe like four or five, wasn't as obvious with him, um, of just, okay, let them be who they are, you know, and that's a hard thing when you're somebody that, oh, I'm a former teacher too. So I saw plenty of neurotypical kids and, you know, help them do this and all the normal things of, you know, learning things you do and learn in sixth grade. That's what I taught mostly math. Um, So having that educate, taking the educator hat off, Mm. you know, and taking that savior hat off was, was a big, was a big part of this, you know? I think that you touched on a couple of points that are really powerful. One is in that doing, 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 I'm going to fix this. I'm going to do whatever I can. Mm -hmm. It can be good. And it can also be a form of flight, like fight or flight, as in this is a trauma response. I'm going to do, do, do so that I don't have to feel my feelings, which are too hard to feel. And I don't have to practice acceptance. And as you said, practicing acceptance might be the most uncomfortable decision of all. And for me, it was, and it was also what allowed me to wrap my mind around the both and situation. Mm-hmm. Acceptance being, I have a child's needs. They may never be fixed or resolved or go away. Can I love him exactly as he is, even if he never changes? And mm-hmm. I always hold space for him to grow and evolve mm-hmm. and thrive and surprise us and surprise himself with <laughs> capable of doing. And yes. it can be both. And if those things never happen, can I release attachment to them? Can I love him exactly as he is? And while it can feel like an edgy decision, as you said, mm-hmm. it can also be so incredibly freeing in that it allows the parents to take the pressure off that they're carrying so heavily, so which I think can be the thing that prevents them from even seeing what do I need? Because they're so focused on the pressure, on the fixing, on the doing. Yes. That they don't really pause to ask, well, hey, what about me? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, what was kind of interesting about me shifting into like, what do I want? What about me? I learned about this whole world of coaching, which really made sense for me as a former teacher. And as I was becoming more, you know, healthy internally and really wanted to help other people. Um, It was really neat to see how all the lessons that I had been learning over the years as a mom that I didn't realize I was learning really actually helped me be a really great business owner and build a really great, successful business because I was case manager, right? I was project manager. I was everything manager. Like I'm really good at building and managing and taking action and all of that. So, you know, a lot of times you know, and it doesn't have to be an either, or I had a belief block for a long time that, well, because I have all these extra things on my plate, like I'd never be able to like really have a successful business. Like I can just have this little thing. That's, that's all that can be possible for me. (laughs) And, you know, it's funny, um, a coach I was working with at the time, you know, she kind of picked up on that. She said to me, like, are you open to it being possible for you? I'm like, well, sure. I'm open, whatever. Okay. (laughs) Right. I'm open. Anyway, within a month, I had met two other women who had a successful business who had young adult children with diagnoses, like significant diagnoses. Like, oh, okay. All right. All right. So 
you know, like you can, you can claim the thing you want, you know, and, and I think it's even more powerful when you have all these extra things on your plate and you still go for what you want. I always say, yeah, I always say that the less time you have, the more discerning you are with the time that you have. And (laughs) of kids with needs who run businesses are some of the most efficient, Mm -hmm. effective people that I know. They have skill sets and problem solving tools that nobody else has. They can implement better than anyone I've ever seen because they're used to doing it on a daily basis. Totally. totally. I feel like I want to put them in charge of every country in the world. (laughs) We'd we'd be awesome. That's right. Finally, but you too, Sarah. <laughs> I'm on a mission. But but what when this started to click for you, what did you need to release or what felt scary that you really had to let go of in order to embrace this new experience? Yeah. Well, I think it was having to be an this is a funny term, but like an optimizer. I realized, or a maximizer, I was always trying to maximize every opportunity, optimize every opportunity. Let's get the most out of this thing that we're doing or the most out of this, you know, experience. I'm like, what if I could just let it be okay? Mm. Yeah. It was, it was just kind of like starting to question my, like wanting to overdo everything and be a perfectionist about everything. Like, what if I could just let go and just let everything be okay. Um, one of the a powerful book that I read during that time was Michael Singer's The Untethered Soul. Love that book. And it, it just really spoke to my heart of like surrender and you know, really being a whip self-aware, just a whole new level of that. It's a really powerful book. Yeah. Um and I remember it was around, it was around the same time, around 2010. Again, when you're married, you've got a partner or, you know, or you have a partner married or not, you have a partner and they're part of this journey too. And when back in 2010, when my twins were 10, and by the way, I had a third who was two years younger, neurotypical, thank God. He knew I needed a little easier journey, (laughs) my third. Um, But anyway, I remember I could only think like one day at a time, like, you know, we had some ideas of someday moving to Florida and living near the beach, by the way, we do now we moved here four years ago, but I could not think about that back then. Like I I can't think more than a a week ahead, you know, or sometimes a day ahead, not years ahead. But I remember at one point, Brian said to me, like, are you going to be caring forever for Amber forever? Mm, Yeah. I, I, what? It really triggered me. Okay. So we're talking like a 12 year old who I'm changing diapers and think about this is not baby level diaper changing. This is like a 12 year old eating level diaper changing, complete bathing, nail clipping, fixing hair, all while behaviors are going on with the autism side of things because she's nonverbal and all of that. I'm like, of course I am. I could never let go, could never not do this. And I mean, I like really fell apart at even being asked that question. And I'm so glad he did Mm. just invited me a little bit to like, what if you could just let go a little bit, let go of the reins just a little bit. And and sometimes those are the most difficult decisions of saying like, okay, what if I didn't have my radar on 24 seven at the highest level (laughs) and she's okay and safe. And what if I got a babysitter and we went out on a date, you know, what if I, ask for some help. 
So yeah. I think the, those are really important decisions for us to make. And we, before we're ready to make the decision, we have to start to let go, be willing to like let go or think differently. Yeah. I also think it's important to ask yourself the question or be aware enough to even be with the idea of, am I wrapping my self-worth up in my child's journey? Yes. Yes. And they're their own human True. being. And am I quantifying my worthiness based on how much I do for them every day? Which is why for some people, the idea of your kid leaving the nest in whatever capacity can be so triggering because then you think, well, who am I if I'm not doing for them when for many moms, especially dads too, but many moms, that's what they know how to do after doing it for so long. So are you willing to consider the idea that you're worthy? You have self-worth even on the days when you're not with your child, or even if your child moves out and lives with other people or on their own. And that can be a really enormous consideration, Mm -hmm. just like it was for you. Yeah. And I love that you said that, how much your identity can get wrapped up in it. It seems like a good and moral and right thing to do, but it's also not healthy for you as a human being. Mm -hmm. And, and you're here for a purpose. And what I've discovered is my child was actually my way to get there. Mm, I love that. And I'm going to ask you more about that in a moment. But before I do, I want to say I have some mom friends of kids who are speakers and non-speakers, mostly with autism, but other needs as well. And some of them have said to me that they always visualize their child living at home with them and having that journey together. And then as their child developed more means of communicating, they were the ones to say, no, mom, I want to move out. I want to live with my peers Yes, in a group setting, which to the parents sounded really scary, but to the child sounded really inviting and opportunities to socialize and do different things were so inviting. Mm -hmm. And in almost every case, it was harder for the parent to make that decision than the child. Was it that way for you? Yes, absolutely. And so a little backstory on that, how, as, as you said, in the last year, my daughter has moved to a residential home. She wasn't able to communicate that to us verbally. I mean, her intelligence level really has stated about the 18 month old level, you know, just being okay with that, which actually, which by the way, there's some real gifts too, like being in the present moment, really keeping things simple. You're not worried about the past. You're not thinking about the future. Just there's some beautiful gifts to that. But, um, but part, in the, part of the letting go process and this decision process, if you're willing to, what my sign behind me says, go with the flow, <laughs> if you're willing to go with the flow, life is going to lead you and you'll realize everything has happened for a reason. So it was early 2020 that I joined a mastermind group, which is normal. You know, in my industry, you join different groups of women and learn from each other and all of that. Well, there was supposed to be a trip that happened in Necker Island that fall. Well, guess what? It got canceled because of the pandemic. (laughs) Rescheduled, rescheduled to the next year. So September, it was going to be September 2021. And I realized I would need like a good 10 days at least of full-time care for her, for me to be able to leave for that length of, you know, that length of time and travel there. That was a big deal in and of itself for me to do more than just fly to New York City, you know, just a short trip. This was a bigger trip. I'm like, I can do this. I'm allowed. I can allow myself to do this. I can find. So I was looking for short-term respite care facilities. And I started talking to some different people and agencies and opportunities. And my goodness, I got on the phone with these wonderful people. They're total strangers to me. But they said some things like this. 
Joy, do you realize you're doing the job of three people? Joy, do you realize this is not sustainable? Do you realize, and these are different people saying it, just, I mean, obviously gifts from above, like speaking to me. Uh, Joy, do you realize like if something happened to you and you ended up in the hospital, you're not going to have a choice where your daughter goes. You have to go where there's an opening. Joy, um, you have severe carpal tunnel on both of your wrists from all these years of caregiving. When are you going to get a chance to fix that? I mean, boom, 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 boom. (laughs) And that's someone once who also pointed out, you know, Sarah, I wanted to find a setting for my son because he's in his forties and I'm in my seventies and I'm not going to live forever. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's almost water under the bridge by the time you get to that. Oh, wow. Wow. Yes. It's so good. Like, so it really got my attention, you know, and all of a sudden, suddenly we're looking at long-term care options, you know, and and I wasn't planning on it and people just put people in our, in our pathway. And so what happened to me is I started surrendering to the process and it just, things started shifting in me, like just surrendering. It was just like sign after sign after sign when you're in resistance. And if you're in fix it mode and you're in clenching mode, when these moments come up, they're going to feel really difficult and hard. And I can't do this. And you're going to have so much resistance, but if you can be in that energy of like, let's see what happens, let's surrender to the moment. And so here's a really beautiful moment in time in that we found a place that had an opening. I mean, like the vibe was amazing. Like adaptive playground, lots of staff, like, oh, I can see her here. Yeah. And so there's st- actually several of their nursing supervisor, behavior specialist, program supervisor actually came to our house and they wanted to meet Amber in her own setting to make sure she would be a good fit for them. Hmm. As a business mm-hmm. coach, I say, that's cool. They're vetting yeah. us. <laughs> that means they, they're really, you know, particular. Yeah. Anyway. They came over and these wonderful people who like instantly bonded with Amber. Amber's on her bed. Amber's, mo- you know, nonverbal. She repeats things like she'll sing Mickey Mouse Clubhouse song or something if it's on TV, you know, and, but she doesn't really like initiate language. Anyway, we were talking with the people who were there to visit with her. And again, she was like really attentive to them and tuned into them. You know, she just has this way of showing she's tuned in. And my husband, Brian, was telling them about the process of like getting in her wheelchair in the morning, driving her power wheelchair onto the bus and what her morning routine looked like, because he did that part of the wheelchair part for me, um, well, as part of our routine. And while he was saying that, Amber looked at me. Amber has never really initiated out of the blue speech. She looked right at me and said, I love you, dad. What? <laughs> like she spoke to me. Yeah. She spoke to me. And I mean, I was sitting there like bawling. Nobody else heard it. Yeah. But it loud and clear. I was like, okay. You know, again, like I surrender. Okay. I told Brian afterwards and we both bawled. Like, this is the right thing to do. This is the right thing to do. And you know what we realized in her moving, and of course it's it's a challenge. I had myself kind of ready like walking past her bedroom with her not being in there. It's right off the kitchen on our first floor. You know, it's right there. Like I always have my radar on, what's Amber doing? Let's get her set up this, that, you know, just, so I, I future paced it myself through that of like, you know, acting as if she's, you know, and waking up in the morning. And my first thought is, okay, gotta go wake Amber up, (laughs) you know, and waking up and like, Amber's not here. So I I future paced that. So it really helped when I got to when it happened, although it still wasn't easy. Um, And something that 
again, I thank my husband, Brian, for this. He's come along for the journey, a little bit pulled along, and now he's on board. I know not everybody has that, but I feel like Amber has this wisdom for all of us. Yeah. And what she, and, and we realized is that we, he was walking past her room empty a few days later. Yeah. And she said to him in his head, now go fly. Mm. <laughs> like, oh my yeah. God, Amber has been our coach. She has been there for us. She is happy. She is thriving. We just saw her two days ago. We go and visit her regularly, of course. And it's just like, of course, this is how it's supposed to be. Now, I could have never guessed that, never could have seen that. I never could have even been okay with it. I would have been like, no, no, I can't do that. It's a bad, you know, bad mom. I have to, you know, but if you can be open to surrender and what feels like difficult things to do and like, oh, I never could do that. You actually get the chance to be a human being. You know, you get the chance to to have your life. And I feel like my life has 10 times more meaning because of it. 10 times more. Absolutely. And when you said that piece about Amber has been your coach all these years, Mm -hmm. I believe that's true. And I think most parents who have a child with needs would agree that Mm -hmm. there are things that you receive from this experience that your child gives you that nobody else could possibly give you and and things you learn that no one else could possibly teach you. And Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you could go back to when you said, Amber, your daughter was really the vehicle that allowed you to find you and your business and your ability to thrive. I would love to hear more about specifically that and how that happened. Absolutely. So, I mean, if you go back to my mid twenties, when I was pregnant with the twins, you know, I was this people pleaser, good girl, do all the right things. Don't make a fuss. You know, I'm just familiar. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Just want to be likable. Don't make waves. I was the peacemaker in my family because my brother was the rebel. So, you know, we just played those roles and everything. And I really had no, I really didn't know who I was. I was just playing a role that worked for me. And it was the role that got A's, that got, you know, checked everybody's boxes, everybody liked. So I was playing a role. But when I think back to, especially in my early 20s, I actually wasn't very happy. Mm-hmm. Wasn't really happy. I didn't really know who I was. And so this whole journey, you know, of like, you know, when you're in the, in the, in the intensive care, in the middle of the night, talking to a neurosurgeon about your daughter and whether they do brain surgery again, even though they can't see proof to do it, all her vitals are dropping. Like you suddenly become a different person. Like you're going to speak up. You're going to ask questions. You're going to say the hard thing. Yeah. You you just, you just start to own your voice and your power as a human being to, make things happen or not. Um, And I think it it changed my relationship, even with my family members. I started acting differently with them and saying, you know, and not being okay with things I wasn't okay with, like really knowing what I believed and thought and what I stood for. And, and Amber just gave me that courage yeah, to, to be that person, you know, to like, what did I believe about this? I mean, you know, so when you have like life and death scenarios, of course, you go to that whole level of like, what do I believe about God and why I'm here and all those things. And, and that really helps you discover who you are and really start to become that person in the process, you know, rather than 
in another lifetime, let's say, right, I had just regular twins, you know, great. I probably would have stayed a classroom teacher. Nothing would have changed. Nothing would have been an impetus for me to do anything different. I'd still be living my stale, boring, normal checkbox life. <laughs> the good on paper life. The good on paper life. Yeah, it's it's not mine. It's right. not mine. <laughs> this is so important. And I, I always think back to the time when Rocco was diagnosed. He was two and he's 13 now. And I remember in the weeks and months that followed, it was like someone signed a permission slip for me to remove myself from people in my life who were energy suckers, addicted to drama, toxic, didn't respect my boundaries because I knew that that was not a reciprocal relationship. And I needed all of my time and energy to go to my self, my caring for myself Thank exactly. goodness I knew how to do that, you know, as a young mom, but also for my family. And I also recognize there's more time and energy that goes into this parenting journey than a typical parenting journey. I can't BS around and waste time <laughs> with people who deep down don't really care about me and all of us. You know, I'm going to be really clear on that and I can release them with love. doesn't have to be a mean thing, but I'm no longer available to beat around the bush to play nice in these reciprocal or non-reciprocal relationships. Sure. That was really powerful. And and I'm still so thankful for it because I meet parents in my business who are still people pleasing and they know they are, and they were raised to do that. They haven't given themselves permission to stop and it's affecting their ability to advocate. It's affecting their ability to care for themselves. So how powerful that we were given the situations where or worse, we had to learn these lessons. There was yes. so much freedom. Absolutely. Lessons. Absolutely. And it's they're they're just they're just immense. And so if, if you don't mind, I'll share my son's story a bit as well. I have yeah. permission to share because he is, you know, online and all of that, but I have his permission to share this because it's been a, a journey for him too. Um, you know, on surface, he's, you know, average 22 year old, great kid and everything, but he's had lots of challenges. And uh, right after the time, I guess it, it was actually late 2021, I lose track of time that Amber moved. Not long after he moved, she moved, all of a sudden he was having major challenges. So there's a, whenever you, you're um, engaging with life and you go to school and, you know, through high school, he had had lots of support tutoring, you know, I get to know the teachers and, you know, you build those relationships and have that supportive environment. Um, I kept him mainstreamed, um, which he was able to do, but it needed a lot of support. And um, he got to college and we thought community college is fine. That's great. You know, live at home the first year and he fell flat. Like he flopped, he couldn't do it. Like he didn't want to do it. And, and suddenly he's like, not going to work and sleeping in his bed all day. Like what's going on with my happy go lucky kid cuz he really is a happy go lucky kid. ADHD, all the personality, you know, all the things. And you know, one thing I realize is that as they go through different phases and I can say as he went into puberty too, like sort of changed into a little bit of a different kid, like yeah. hormones are raging and all of that. That's a whole, you know, other dynamic. And then, you know, we had to, there was decisions we had to make then and choose some medication decisions back then to kind of calm things down a bit. And then moving into young adulthood, like, whoa, wait, what's going on? And again, we had to look for like answers and support. And we thought like, 
okay, we thought we had made it, you know, <laughs> but geez, there's more. So here we are off to family therapy again. Yeah. The three of us. And, you know, a therapist said, you know, this is, this is failure to launch syndrome. Like, okay, what's that mean? You know, yeah. failure to launch syndrome. I, I, I mean, you heard of a movie called that, but like, what right. is it actually in real life? And it's really a thing, you know, when somebody does not have all the competency skills, when they're not the A plus student and suddenly they're thrown into a different environment like college, man, I felt like that was a huge miss on my part thinking that he could just move into that. And he was actually that, you know, he actually wasn't emotionally really ready for that yet. Yeah. Um, but then when you're 21, 2021, you don't want your parents' help. As a matter of fact, you get mad about your parents' help. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. so last year he trans, we found the next step again, serendipitously going with the flow, allowing things to happen. We found this wonderful life coaching program that he's been a student in. Amazing. So he's been out of state for nine months. Like, another big decision, a big financial decision. Um, And some of these difficult decisions involve putting out outlays of money over the years that sometimes we didn't have. Um, But again, like that was another huge surrender. (laughs) Like what? Both of my twins are going to be gone? Really? (laughs) So it goes to that identity piece that you were saying, like recognizing how much our identities can be tied to our kids. And that's good and healthy when we're in survival mode, but like start letting go. And what's his future going to look like? No, it's not going to be college, right? It's, it's just keeping a full-time job right now and happy relationships. And he's doing great. I'm so grateful, but it's been a challenging last year with him. So um, you're once a parent, always a parent, it just looks different. And there are different challenges and decisions as they get older, for sure. I'm so glad you mentioned that because before I had my consulting practice, my primary business was yoga and wellness. And I still teach yoga to a couple of my special unicorn clients who I love, but I had the opportunity to teach in a one-on-one fashion to people from all walks of life. And I have taught yoga in the homes of people whose lives on the outside look perfect, right? Like the $50 million beach house, you know, like I've seen it all. I've I've seen it all. And what I've realized in that process is that when you're a parent, those things with your children consume you, whether they are neurotypical or not, regardless of how much money you have, regardless of how big your house is, regardless of where you live. And, and I had parents who's had everything on the outside looked great. They didn't have any diagnoses but they had a child who was having overweight issues and a health challenge. They had a child who was an addict. They had a child who was struggling with trauma due to divorce. You know, they had all different types of things and it kept them awake at night and they had to rumble with it and they had to really go on their own healing journey to solve it. So for everyone listening, I want you to know that the conversation Joy and I are having today doesn't just apply to you if your child has autism or medical complexities, or a learning disability, or what have you. Every parent has to go through this growth process of being your own person, finding your own self-worth outside of your children, so that you can teach them Hmm. to feel worthy and take that journey themselves, regardless of what their life looks like. Because what kind of message are we sending to them if we're only worthy when we're doing for other people. We're only worthy if their journey is perfect. How are they going to be as parents or aunts or godparents or friends if they're learning these lessons from us? And when someone said that to me years ago, that was like getting hit in the face with a hammer. 
Yeah, it's true. It is. It is. Well said. Absolutely. So as we go through, you know, all these different stages of life and all these different decisions and, you know, money, I I didn't bring this in, but like, there's a lot of decisions to be made around money and we had debt piling up multiple times. (laughs) That's one benefit of me going out on my own and doing my thing to make money. It helped the family and it helped us to, you know, do something more things like private school and extra tutoring and, you know, things that were really, you know, needed for the family. Um, But, you know, if we can be there for the journey and just be fully present and not get ourselves too entangled in it, you know, again, another lesson from the untethered soul was to be the witness from that book, it talks about being the witness and really being able to see yourself in the scenario that you're in and like who you're going to choose to be and how you're going to choose to feel and and grow and what this is all going to mean, you know, what you're going to allow it to mean for you and your future. I love that. And when I first read the untethered soul, I think my son was a baby and it was the type of book that I knew was so powerful that I wasn't going to rush through it. Like one of my summertime beach reads, I intentionally would read a few pages or a chapter and then put it down. Exactly the same. I could only read a few pages at a time and just like, okay, I got to take that in, but it's so worth it to do the inner work because then when you get to these big life changes or you have these big decisions to make, you can be present for it. And it doesn't have to be heart wrenching and, and traumatizing. It can actually be freeing and you know, it's for the good of all. And that's really what we want. Yeah. It also really highlighted for me. And this was one of my biggest takeaways from reading it. And I think I've read it once a year, the last have always Uh, (laughs) refresh yourself. And every time you read it, you take something different away. But it reminded me that just because I sit and meditate every day, there's no guarantee that I'm going to reach enlightenment in this lifetime, right? Just like there's no guarantee you're going to suddenly be the perfect parent by the end of your parenting journey. You might, you might not, but who cares? You're going to learn in the journey. I'm going to learn when I sit on my meditation cushion every day and I sit and I find stillness and maybe I find perfect stillness. Maybe I just take the role of the witness, the observer, and I watch myself and I learn something. Maybe it just reminds me not to rush that day because I've given myself a few minutes of quiet to slow the heck down. Maybe that's what I needed. And trusting that you're going to learn the lessons you need to learn when you need to learn them, regardless of whether you achieve enlightenment, become the perfect parent, make all the perfect decisions in your life. <laughs> and who even can define what perfect is anyway, exactly. right? <laughs> exactly. It's like asking someone, you know, when someone says, I don't feel good enough, like, well, what is enough? You know, when is enough? What is enough? Everyone's going to have a different definition of enough. So yeah. can you really even measure yeah. enough or can you decide I'm a good enough mom today? Yes. I'm just deciding that I am, regardless of the outside circumstances. Oh, I love that you said that. It's a decision. That's a decision, an empowered decision to make for yourself. Absolutely. Sure. Joy, I would love as we bring it home, if you have any final words of wisdom, like if you could impart our listeners with just a few sentences that you really want them to remember as they finish this episode and move forward with their day, what would you tell them? Hmm. I would reiterate this theme of surrendering to what's in front of you in the present moment, even if it feels edgy or uncomfortable, or you feel resistance to it is that every new moment is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for you to make a, for you to make a decision 
And it doesn't have to be angsty or whatever, like just slow down and see what's happening in the moment and really be observant of like, hmm, there's a lot of signs. Hmm, there's some things happening. Hmm, I think I'm being pointed in a certain direction because you really are, right? Yeah. Things aren't things aren't random. Things are are aren't happening um, against you. They're actually hap- happening for everyone's highest good, even if at the moment my daughter's in the hospital. That doesn't seem to be a good thing, right? Um, but knowing that it's it's all part of something bigger. I know it sounds trite, but in the moment, just surrendering to what's happening, even if it's not what we wanted in the moment, like, okay, here we are. This is where we're at. That, that place of acceptance is huge. And what it does over time is it builds this sense of self-trust. You start to trust, not just yourself. You start to trust life. You start to trust the process, which builds this resilience inside of you. And that resilience is just unshakable. Mm. You know, whatever life throws your way, you're going to be okay. And that's like the best thing ever. That is the best thing ever. I second that the best thing ever. That was such a powerful way to close out. And I'm so thankful, Joy, that you've come on the podcast today and shared so vulnerably. And I know listeners are going to hear this and want to contact you, whether it's to thank you or learn more about you and what you do or your journey or anything. And what is the best way for people to find you today? Oh, thank you. So you can find me on my website, which is simplify to to multiply.com. Or you can find me on Facebook. That's where I'm at is my primary social platform. Actually, I have a Facebook group for moms who have a child with a diagnosis, but also have a business. It doesn't matter what type of business you're thinking of starting a business. So we've got a nice, I think we've got 130 members in there now. So every month I'm leading a coaching call and connection and these conversations. So if you happen to have a business and you have a child with a diagnosis, send me a DM. If this to send me a DM, I'll invite you to that group. If you're just inspired or you have some questions, I really feel like this next chapter in my life is more about this mission. My business is running great. So I'm really about encouraging and having these conversations and, and just inspiring others. So don't be shy to just send me a message on Facebook and let me know you heard this. And I'd be happy to encourage you personally as well. Amazing. Joy, thank you. I can't thank you. enough. This was such a powerful conversation and one that I think many people need to hear, whether you're making decisions about your child's medical care or school or living situation, this is going to be a tremendous resource for people. So thank you so very much. Everyone, thank you for listening. Remember to reach out. All the links will be in the show notes and you can just click and find us and we're here to support you. So thank you, everyone. Have a beautiful day. Take care. If today's show resonated with you, please leave a review through your favorite podcast provider as it's an important step in allowing new listeners to find us when they need to hear this message in their own lives. 